right, good morning. Welcome back to the Struggles of a Christian podcast. Uh, I promised you we were going to start Gideon, and we're going to do that this morning. Um, now, there's something I want to I, I want you to think about because uh, most of us only know Gideon as the fleece that was laid out as a sign from God. Uh, one day for all the water to be there, the next day for it to be dry, and all the water to be all the ground to be wet around it. That's pretty much what we know about. Uh, uh, Gideon, for the most part, is that uh, that little bitty bit. But Gideon was actually a very extensive uh, part of the book of Judges. Um, so we're going to get into that today. We're going to go to Judges 6.1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth Till thou came, till thou come into Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for they, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children uh, of Israel cried unto the Lord. So it is the time of the judges. Um, Israel keeps running away into idolatry and, and crying out to God. So the important part here is that the Midianites were not a physical persecution. The Midianites are merely a mass uh, influx of people um, that did not allow any food due to the number of people and animals that the Midianites moved into the country. It wasn't famine nor pestilence, but the sheer number of people that came into the country that left the Israelites starving. For the Midianites took their food, took their water, and their crops as they were grown. So why did God allow the Midianites to do this? Because the Israelites fell into idolatry. I mean, it, it, it's a common thing. How soon they forget the God of their fathers. Yet, are they really truly any different from us today? I mean, growing up in the 60s and 70s, there was a revival somewhere all the time. There was tent meetings. There was all this stuff going on. There was always something to be doing in the church, serving God, working for God. And now, most churches have one-hour-a-week services. How often soon do we forget our God? So, we get to the verse uh, Judges 6, 6, and it says the people are crying out to God. They need help. They're, they're in these uh, troubles. Oh, yeah, let's, let's ask God. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but we're really not any worse or any better. But how much easier would it be if they remembered before the sin, before the idolatry, before the pain and the punishment, that they remembered that God was there then before they went into all this? Eh. But the parallels are just so very apparent. We're the, we're the same exact way today. Um, what's the old saying? Uh, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, the Israelites repeated their history a lot. So, All right, so the children of Israel crying out to God, uh, Judges 6.11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrael. And his son Gideon thrashed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. All right, so give me a second. Changing pages here. Come on. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, unto Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, 
If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked unto him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So the very first thing that catches my attention here, why is the angel going to Gideon? Do you suppose that Gideon, who is hiding so he can thresh wheat for the family, that they might have food? Do you think that he might have been praying, talking to God, looking for God, wondering where God is? I do a lot of this when I'm walking, when I'm driving. I talk to God and I let him know what I'm doing, my frustrations, my concerns, my fears. God, you brought me here for a reason. Where are you? Blah, blah. Gideon was a human, just as I. So he was probably doing the same thing as he was hiding, threshing wheat, saying, why is it necessary, Lord, for us to go through this? Why are you not saving us? Where is the God of my forefathers that we've been told about who worked all these miracles and delivered us? Where are you? Well, he's searching for God, so God comes to him. There came an angel of the Lord. Now, this was not just any angel. This is what we call a Christophany, uh, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. So the angel of the Lord sat under an oak tree. What was he doing there? Waiting, probably. He was there watching, waiting, listening, and he did not make himself known right away either. He just listened, he watched, and he waited for a time. So what was he thinking, do you think, while he sat there? This is Christ sitting there underneath this tree, looking out. He knows what's going on. He sees his, hears his people crying out. He sees, he knows Gideon's threshing wheat. But, you know, God knows everything. He knows past, present, future. The spot that he's at, that Christ is sitting at right now, and his Christophany is 18 miles northeast from Jerusalem. 18 miles. Do you think he saw that day the future that he would die on Calvary? He was 18 miles from Jerusalem. Do you think he was contemplating what was going to happen when he was on earth? I don't know. I, it doesn't tell us what he was thinking. I just find that very 18 miles from the very spot he's going to die in a thousand years or so. Do you not think he's 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 contemplating this, looking ahead? I mean, I don't know what he was thinking about. I don't know what he was contemplating. It's just one of those things that catches me as odd. So, all right, so back to Gideon. God was watching, he was waiting, and he was listening before he acted, before he let it, before he let Gideon know he was there. Um, every now and then it's a good thing for us to wait and watch and listen to God. We need to stop and let him talk instead of us just talking at him all the time. Now, I said at him because many times we're just going, Lord, 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 and we don't take time to look. We don't take time to wait. We don't take time to listen. All, we're so busy getting it off our chest, we're not listening to what's on his. Okay? So every now and then we got to listen to God. Um, and I, I read something once that uh, actually is very pertinent to this whole thing. It says, it is hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. It is hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. That's how many of us go into prayer. That's how many of us go in uh, asking for things. Lord, this situation is not working. Get me out of it. Well, maybe he's got you in that situation for you to work that situation out. Maybe he's got a different plan that's better. I mean, he's God. 
<laughs> so uh, stop going into this with these preconceived notions. Start talking with him instead of at him. Maybe uh, maybe to get a little better for you. All right, so Gideon, um, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and Gideon says, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. The Lord says, Go in this thy might, and you are going to save Israel. At first, at first glance, we go, well, God never wants us to do it in our own power. No, he doesn't. So if you look at it, go, you say, go in this, thy might. You emphasize the this, not go in this, thy might. Go in this, thy might. God is talking about something that Gideon is to use as his strength. So God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. At first glance, you think it's a little bit of sarcasm because Gideon is hiding threshing wheat. I don't think it's sarcasm, though. I think God is stating the truth because he sees the inward. He sees the inside. He sees the outside. So he knows Gideon's a mighty man of valor. He's just doing that, which is expedient for his family right now. So he knows Gideon's true worth as a man and a warrior. Gideon objects, though, and says, I am not mighty. I am a from a poor family and a poor tribe. So Gideon has the spirit that God is looking for, humble and pure. God can work with that. Gideon says, how can I do this? And God says, surely I will be with you. All right. So what is this, his might? This, his might is that God is with him. So when he says, go in this, thy might, he's referring to the fact that Gideon, I'm here with you. I'm going to be with you. Let's get going, because you're going in my power, not yours. That's your might. All right. Um, so Gideon says in uh, Judges 6, 17, if now, I have, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. He's saying, God, how do I know you're God? How do I know this is God speaking to me? All right. How often do we do the same? How often do we doubt and need a sign or a wonder? Uh, the fact that we doubt the voice of the shepherds means we are too far from him and doubting him. So many times when we need a sign and wonder, we don't. We just need to draw closer to him to hear the voice a little better, to understand the shepherd is talking to us. For we have true. For if we are truly his sheep, we hear his voice. We do his will. We can do nothing but his work and his will if we are of his sheep. If we're not certain of his voice, then we must ask for signs and wonders. Don't ask for signs and wonders, just move closer. The problem with asking for signs and wonders and, and different things like that, Satan can imitate God. So you say, well, if this happens, it's God. Well, no, not necessarily because Satan can do that. Remember, God sent an, a, a lying spirit to the prophets so that Ahab would go to battle and die. No different here. Satan went before God to accuse Job. And God said, no, you go do what you want. Job's faithful. Just because you ask for a sign and wonder and it gets done doesn't mean it's God's will. Make sure you're listening to the voice of God, the voice of the shepherd. That's very important. 
So when asking for a sign, if you are not fully in tune with God, stop. Do not ask. Satan can imitate signs and wonders. Look at the Pharaoh's magicians. And he can mislead you. As a born-again Christian, you have the spirit in you. This spirit will never mislead you as long as that is the spirit you are feeding and listening to. If there is even a chance you are not in God's will, you are not in communion with God, you're not hearing his voice, do not seek a sign or wonder. It can go astray really quickly. Get back in the word. Get back on your knees, okay? All right. Sorry about that. Uh, Judges 6.18. Depart not hence, I pray thee, getting and talking to the angel. Depart, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, uh, the Christophany Christ, the angel said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Je Jehovah Shalom, unto this day it is, yet in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So Gideon goes and says, hey, don't go anywhere. I'm going to go prepare you a gift. Do not move. Do not leave. And, and the angel of Christ says, okay, sure, I'm going to wait. Now, you got to remember, this isn't a microwave. This isn't even an electric oven like we or a gas oven like we know today. This meal prep did not happen in an hour's time. It took quite a bit longer. The angel of the Lord waited. And when Gideon brings the food and the broth, he is told to pour it out upon a rock. The angel's staff touches the meat, the bread, and fire comes from the rock. Not from the Lord, not from the angel, not from the Christophany, not from the sky, not from the ground, not from the staff, but not from heaven, but from the rock. There rose up fire out of the rock. First miracle in the book of Gideon. Okay. So we've already had water from a rock in, 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 in the Exodus. Uh, Moses, uh, or God gave the, the children of Israel water from a rock twice. Uh, but this is fire from a rock, which is counterintuitive to a rock. I mean, you know, water from a rock. Okay, you can move the rock and it's sitting on a well. All right, we can explain that. Fire from a rock? How are we explaining that one? We're not. All right, we've already had water from a rock. Now we have uh, fire from a rock that consumed the meat, the bread, and the broth. Gideon got his sign, and he got it in spectacular fashion. There can be no mistaking that this was from God because it was fire from a rock, okay? I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again right here real quick. When, when you get a miracle from God, you make sure you write that down. That way you remember it because Gideon... He didn't remember his miracle 
uh, just a day or two from now. He doesn't remember. Write it down exactly what happened, when it happened, how it happened. That way, uh, a week or two down the road, your mind can't rationalize and say, oh, that didn't really happen. Or, well, that happened because of this. Or, well, maybe it was coincidence. Write it down right then and there exactly what happened, when it happened, how it happened, what you were praying for, and what the answered prayer was. That way, when you look back, you can remember exactly what happened because it will bring it back to mind. If you don't write it down, your mind will start to try and explain it. It'll start to rationalize it down. It'll start to put an everyday look into it. So keep a, pray, a praise journal explain, uh, and all the details that you can of these answered prayers. Anyway, so the angel departed from the side of Gideon. Um, so Gideon, or he just departed from the site. He doesn't tell us what happened, if he poofed himself away or, <laughs> or what. Um, I mean, when, when, when Christ ascended into heaven, the angels came down and said, fear not this same Jesus. So I don't know if he ascended up, if he just willed himself out. I don't know. It just says, um, it just says the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So he could have even walked away. I don't know. It doesn't always have to be supernatural. So a sacrifice had just been made. Gideon built an, alt an altar and called it uh, Jehovah Shalom. Gideon honored the meeting of the Lord with the, the altar. He took his holy ground and made it a memorial to the living God. This is where he met God. He made it holy. He set an altar there. Uh, perhaps we need to get back to memorials and holy ground too. Uh, to reestablish uh, re respect, reverence, fear, and awe for God, for his word, for his works, for his majesty, for his awesomeness. Gideon met God. And it was spectacular for him. All right. So now we're going to start getting to the action. Okay. This is where Gideon starts picking up in pace. It's very interesting. Probably a lot of things most of us don't know. So hang on and listen in. Um, so Judges 6.25. And it came to pass the same night, the same night that the, the angel of the Lord Christ was there, that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Gideon is told to tear down the altar of Baal that his father had, his dad, okay? His dad has an altar to Baal. Gideon has his work cut out for him here. He has to stand against his own family, and that's hard. He has to do that which is right in the sight of God. That's probably the hardest thing you can ever do is stand against your mom or your dad. Stand up to them and say, you're wrong. I've got to do this. Now you better make sure you have a calling from God on that. All right, so how does he go about this? He takes 10 servants, notice servants, not friends, not family. He takes servants that had to obey, servants that knew how to work, servants that, you know, really seriously had to do what they were told. So he goes into the other night and he takes those who cannot voice, they cannot voice opposition. 
Why? Because he's got a limited amount of time and he's got a lot to do. He needs those who are just going to listen to him and get to work. All right. He took servants. He had a lot to do in a specific time frame. No time for discussions, objections, dialogue, or explanations. He's got to get stuff done. He had to tear down an altar and a grove of trees, build a new altar, and sacrifice upon it. He had to do it while everyone was asleep, or it's going to get a whole lot harder. God is sending a message. Gideon is the messenger, but Gideon has to do it the, at night when nobody's around for the least amount of opposition so he can get it done. All right. Um, 628. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another who hath done this thing. And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal. And because he hath cast cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? That's a very good question. Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, Baal, let him plead for himself, because one hath cut down his altar. <laughs> all right. So the men of the city get upset that their altar to Baal and all they had set up to worship Baal has been cast down. All right. So they start asking who did this, and they are led to Gideon's house. I'm betting after the night he had, he's asleep. I'm betting that the work he did for God, hot, heavy, hard, manual, physical labor, put him to sleep, and he was in a comfortable sleep. You may think, well, he was worried and scared. He knew people would be upset. He didn't sleep a wink because he was waiting for news. He had to run and hide. God promised him that he would be okay. God took fire from a rock and consumed all that. No, God said he would be okay. Gideon knows he's going to be okay. So Gideon, again, this is my assumption. Gideon is sleeping, sleeping the sleep of the protected. He followed God's word. He did what was asked of him. And I bet he was sleeping a good sleep right now. So Joash, Gideon's father, is asked to bring his son out to die for tearing down the altar of Baal. What do you think Joash is going to do? Going to go get his son and say, okay, here you go, kill him? Most of us would not do that. <laughs> Most of us are going to die defending our family. Other than the guy from, uh, other than the, the, the king of Moab who ran his son through the fires and offered him to Molech <laughs> because, you know, he was losing a battle. Most of us are going to say, no, my son's under my protection. You got to go through me to get to him. So what does Joash say? He says, Baal is a god, so why do you have to fight for him? Why must you intercede with me for Gideon on Baal's behalf if he is a god? Joash, if you remember now, Joash owned the altar and the grove that was torn down. He's lost money because people had to come and pay. People had to give him so that they could use the, 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 the grove and the altar to Baal. So he's now lost money. All right. It was his area for Baal. Gideon, his son, took it down. And now the people are calling for the head of Gideon. Joash looked at the loss and said, okay. Joash said, no, you're not getting my son. Despite what he may have felt about what Gideon's actions were personally, he said, nope, you're not getting my son. 
So Gideon had to stand against his, his father's idolatry. He had to choose God or his father. And he stood for God. Then his father stood for him. While he may be very upset with Gideon, he has to decide which is most important to him. Gideon's choice gave his dad some backbone. Gideon made a stand. His dad made a stand too. So Gideon, just the day before, is threshing wheat, hiding um, threshing wheat next to the wine press so the Midianites don't see it and take it. So what happened to Gideon that all of a sudden he's a mighty man of valor? Gideon met Jesus. That's what happened. He met the one who changes lives, the one who makes lions of men. When you meet Jesus, and I mean truly meet him and commit to do all the things his way, when you tear down the obstacles and you get to serving God, there is a change in your heart and in your life. It's not something we can fabricate. It is something that God and only God can affect in our lives. When God does make this kind of change in you, people will notice. Men and women will react to you differently. Hearts will change. God will move. If you met Jesus and he's with you, things are going to change. Simple. You're going to live for him. You're going to have a different life. You're going to be a different person and people will notice. Gideon, when threshing the wheat, was asking, praying for God to move. And when God did move, Gideon got on board and went to work. Fire from the rock came. He's convinced he is now going to work. He's tore down an altar, bailed uh, a grove of trees, and he's created an altar for God. When God calls you and you get moving, things will change. When God calls you and you turn a deaf ear, there's no change. When God calls you and you do it the way you want, there's no change. When God calls you and you get to work for God doing what he said, when he said, there's a change. It's got to be him, his rules, his parameters. And there's a change. Gideon had that change. God honors those who step out and do his work. He will change hearts and minds, not just of you, but of those who are listening to you. Here's the thing, though, and I can't stress this enough. God can change hearts and minds. But if Gideon hadn't listened, if Gideon hadn't stepped out and obeyed, if Gideon hadn't allowed God to do this, it wasn't going to happen. Now, we know God's all-powerful. God can do whatever he wants. But God never takes anybody by force. He wants you to serve him out of love for him. He wants you to care about what he cares about. He wants you to see what he sees. He wants you to serve him the way he wants you to serve him. Anything else, and God's not going to be in it. God can do anything. He can change hearts and minds, but we have to make that choice. We have to decide to step out. We have to decide to follow. We have to get to work doing God's work. If you want to get serious in God's work, and I'm going to close with this. If you want to get serious in God's work, then you need to get serious with God. Gideon is crying out, threshing wheat, hiding, wondering why his people are, are being um, 
persecuted, wondering where this God that their forefathers told them about the, 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 the miracles, the deliverance. Where is this God? When God shows up, Gideon says, yes, sir, let's go. And they went and they made things happen. Gideon could have just as soon as said, ah, I don't know who you are, goodbye, and then labored on in his mythology. But he didn't. Gideon got to work. That's what it takes. So that's it. Uh, that's Gideon part one. We're going to get into two and three. Um, again, there is just so much here because we haven't even got to the fleece yet. And already Gideon's had a miracle. He's met God. Uh, he stood against his father. He tore down an altar and a grove. He stood against an entire city. He is causing a stir. He is causing revival. And it only gets more interesting. So I will see you next time. Um, we'll either be doing Gideon or Saul part five. Until then, have a great day.